The ACB E-Forum, Volume 57, February 2019, Number 8. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Bart Morse in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the Combined Federal Campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB Reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 605-475-8154 and choose Option 3. Tune in to ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org or by calling 641-793-0756. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at at ACBNATIONAL or like us on Facebook at www. Dot .facebook dot com slash a m e r i c a n c o u n c i l o f t h e b l i n d o f f i c i a l copyright 2019 american council of the blind eric bridges executive director sharon lovering editor 1703 north beauregard street Suite 420, Alexandria, Virginia, 22311. Table of Contents ACB and its Affiliates, The Most Important Relationship, by Kim Charlson. Fun Facts About Rochester for 2019, by Janet Dickelman. Step into the Leadership Spotlight. Apply to become a 2019 ACB and J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow by Kenneth Semyon Sr. The Importance of Relationships Ham Radio Relationships Span Time and Space by Ron Milliman The Importance of Connections by Timothy B. Vernon Rainbow Connection by Gabriel Lopez Cafati The Advantages of a Blind Parent by D.J. McIntyre Thank You, Lassen by Betsy Grinovich Dysfunctional Love by Anne Chepetta. Summoning Our Better Angels by Paul H. Olson. Bear This in Mind Before Hugging by Larry P. Johnson.
Passings. Affiliate News. Here and There. Edited by Sharon Strakowski. High Tech Swap Shop. Are You Enjoying the Themed Issues of the ACBE Forum by Ron Brooks? Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, slovering at acb.org. Give her the information and she'll make the changes for you. Keep up with the most important ACB news and announcements without any other chatter. Subscribe to the ACB Announce List Serve. Send a blank email to announce subscribe at acblists.org or visit www.acblists.org slash m-a-i-l-m-a-n slash l-i-s-t-i-n-f-o slash a-n-n-o-u-n-c-e and type your email address and name where indicated. ACB Radio Mainstream has blindness-related news you can use at www.acbradio.org slash m-a-i-n-s-t-r-e-a-m All blind musicians all the time at the ACB Radio Cafe www.acbradio.org slash C-A-F-E ACB and its Affiliates The Most Important Relationship by Kim Charlson As my third and final term as president of ACB winds down, I can attest to the importance of the relationships I have developed with ACB's staff and members. I have met so many people who care about ACB and are working incredibly hard every day to make things better for others who are blind or visually impaired in their communities, their states, or in our nation. The passion and dedication to a cause, a principle, an event, a piece of legislation at the state legislature, or making a new member feel welcome and important are all critical to the overall success of whatever relationship is being developed. It all makes a huge difference in our affiliate at the local, state, and national levels. As I have had the opportunity to travel and visit our affiliates, I have met leaders doing so many different things with their members. This past fall, my visits included Illinois and Kentucky. It was my first visit to Illinois, and they are a passionate, committed, determined group, working hard in their state on many issues, including transportation, which impacts everyone. They were also fighting to preserve blindness services from severe budget cuts. The affiliates' leaders all have complex lives, raising children, working full-time, caring for family members. But no matter what other things were going on in their lives, they found time and put their affiliate responsibilities at the forefront. No one made excuses for not getting things done. And if they needed assistance to finish a task, they asked others for help. That kind of teamwork really makes a difference for getting things done smoothly to everyone's advantage. My visit to Kentucky was a repeat one, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Brian was the main guest as a fellow affiliate president, but they were very resourceful at putting us both to work. 
We spoke about IRA technology, library services, guide dog issues, and enjoyed amazing food, fellowship, and some great shopping in their exhibit area. The Kentucky Council of the Blind has such a strong sense of self-support, and they rely on one another to resolve many issues that come up. The collective leadership is very skilled at solving problems, getting technology to work correctly, fixing a device that isn't functioning properly, and giving one another that extra level of personal support when needed. The other relationship I observed was a strong bond between KCB and their dedicated volunteers from the JW, many of the same people who help every year at our national convention. Their dedication and commitment to helping ACB as supportive volunteers is another relationship we value for what it brings to us. And the JW would say they value the relationship with ACB as well for what it brings to them. Their support is so valuable at our national convention, and many of you who attend conventions have probably been assisted by their patient, calm presence during those hectic moments when you didn't know how to get to an important session. Whether it's members or volunteers, whether it's local, state, or national ACB affiliates or committees, our relationships with one another and with our organization are important. They are essential to what we all do every day to expand our inclusion in society and to increase the opportunities for independence for all people who are blind and visually impaired. That's a relationship I will continue to grow and foster as long as I possibly can, because the outcomes are priceless for every one of us. Fun Facts About Rochester for 2019 by Janet Dickelman As you prepare for your visit to Rochester, New York for ACB's 2019 conference and convention, I've dug up some fun facts about our convention city. Rochester is the third largest city in New York. It was voted the most livable city in the U.S. in 2007. If you are from Rochester, you are a Rochesterian. Rochester is the birthplace of Eastman Kodak Company, Xerox Corporation, and Bosch & Lomb. French's mustard, granola, and jello all originated in Rochester. Today, Rochester is known as both Flower, F-L-O-U-R, City, and the Flower, F-L-O-W-E-R, City. These nicknames arose in the early to mid-1800s, when the town boasted both a thriving mill industry and profitable seed trade. Scenes from several Hollywood movies have been filmed in Rochester, including Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, The Thomas Crown Affair, The Natural, and Spider-Man 2. And the 2019 ACB Banquet Speaker is... Songwriter and performer Ginny Owens will be speaking and entertaining ACB during our banquet on Thursday evening, July 11th. Ginny is a multiple award-winning and critically acclaimed singer-songwriter. She became a household name when she was named the Gospel Music Association's New Artist of the Year in 2000. Her career includes ten full-length recordings, three EPs, a popular Christmas album, number one radio singles, and numerous film and television placements. A degenerative eye condition left Jenny completely blind at age three. She has performed at the Sundance Film Festival, Lilith Fair, and the White House. 
In November 2016, Owens launched the Love Be the Loudest campaign, an initiative in which a portion of album sales are donated to increasing the work of nonprofit organizations whose mission is to bring hope to the world. In 2017, the sought-after songstress was commissioned to write the song Fly Away for the independent film Trafficked, a song that found itself among the selections considered for the Academy Awards Ballot for Best Original Song in a Motion Picture earlier this year. Ginny is also an author, co-writing Transcending Mysteries, published by HarperCollins in 2015. The multifaceted performer also hosts a popular video blog entitled How I See It, in which Owens helps viewers understand the ins and outs of living day-to-day life as a blind person. Dates and Details Convention dates are Friday, July 5th through Friday, July 12th. The opening general session will be held Saturday evening, July 6th. Featuring local entertainment, the color guard ceremony and singing of the Star-Spangled Banner, plus welcomes by ACB President Kim Charlson and the President of ACB of New York. This is your opportunity to hear from some of our major corporate sponsors and be introduced to the 2019 Durward K. McDaniel first-timers and the Leadership Fellows recipients. Daily general sessions will continue mornings Sunday through Wednesday and all day Thursday. July 7th through 11th. Plans are still underway for these sessions. You will definitely hear from our talking book narrator, our international guest, learn the latest updates on advocacy, and hear the always inspiring stories from our scholarship recipients. The exhibit hall will be open on Saturday, July 6th, and will remain open through Wednesday, July 10th. There will be approximately 60 vendors featuring cutting-edge technology for blind and visually impaired users, items for daily living, recreation, guide dogs, jewelry, and so much more. Special interest affiliates and committees will hold programs, seminars, and workshops beginning Saturday, July 6th through Wednesday, July 10th. Teachers, students, families, attorneys, entrepreneurs, the LGBT community, and individuals who are losing their sight will hold approximately 200 sessions during Convention Week. In addition, many of our sponsors and business partners will present programs, workshops, and focus groups during the convention. Career Development If you are a first-time convention attendee, if you haven't joined us in several years, or if you are a veteran conventioneer, visit www.acb.org and review the 2018 Conference and Convention Program. Every convention features unique opportunities to learn new skills, tips, and techniques on a wide range of topics. Reviewing last year's program will give you an idea of what you can expect. Continuing Education Units In conjunction with ACVREP, ACB will once again offer CEUs for many of our convention sessions. Stay tuned to future issues of the ACB Braille Forum for more information. Staying in touch. Can't get enough convention information? Check out the convention announce list. It will be filled with information. 
To subscribe, send a blank email to acbconvention subscribe at acblists.org. If you received updates for the 2018 convention, you do not need to resubscribe. Hotel details. Room rates at the Hyatt and the Riverside are $89 per night, single or double occupancy, with an additional $10 per person for up to four people per room. This room rate does not include tax, which is currently 14%. To make your reservation, call the Riverside at 585-546-6400 or the Hyatt at 1-800-233-1234. Make sure to mention you are with the American Council of the Blind, 2019. Book your room by June 7, 2019 to guarantee the convention rate. To make reservations online, go to acbconvention.org and look for the hotel reservation link. Convention Contacts 2019 Exhibit Information Michael Smitherman, 601-331-7740, amduo at b-e-l-l-s-o-u-t-h dot net. 2019 Advertising and Sponsorships Margarine Beeman, 512-921-1625, oleo50 at h-o-t-m-a-i-l dot com. For any other convention-related questions, contact Janet Dickelman at 651-428-5059 or via email j-a-n-e-t dot d-i-c-k-e-l-m-a-n at g-m-a-i-l dot com. Step into the Leadership Spotlight. Apply to become a 2019 ACB and J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow by Kenneth Semyon Sr. Do you meet the qualifications of the ACB and J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows Program? If so, the Leadership Spotlight is shining in your direction. Read below to confirm your eligibility and necessary commitment to become a member of the 2019 Class of Leadership Fellows. For the fourth consecutive year, J.P. Morgan Chase will provide full access to the ACB Conference and Convention for five ACB members who have demonstrated leadership abilities. Get connected with previous classes of leadership fellows who have taken advantage of this enlightening experience while meeting other members and active leaders from around the country. By attending the 58th Annual ACB Convention in Rochester, New York, as a leadership fellow, you will be introduced to tools for success through participation in informative workshops, seminars, and leadership development sessions that are sure to prepare you to serve well in future leadership roles within ACB, your local chapter, and your state or special interest affiliate. To be a qualified applicant, you are required to meet specific criteria, including but not limited to the following three elements, 18 years of age or older, blind or visually impaired, and ACB member in good standing. Eligible applicants must be endorsed by the president of their state or special interest affiliate. The application process for this award 
also consists of submitting two letters and participating in a telephone interview with a team of DKM committee members. The applicant's letter will include the objectives in applying for the Leadership Award, a brief summary of your education and relevant experience, number of years of membership in ACB, as well as previous conventions attended, if any, description of one's role as a leader, and examples of what you bring to ACB. Be sure to include your full name, physical address, telephone number where you can be reached, and your primary email address. The Affiliate President's Letter of Recommendation should address the applicant's contributions to the affiliate, ACB, and community organizations, and describe the applicant's demonstrated leadership skills and leadership potential. Telephone interviews will be scheduled for mid-April. All recipients receive round-trip transportation, hotel accommodation, double occupancy, per diem stipend for meals and incidentals, convention registration fee, and reception and banquet tickets. Recipients are expected to attend the convention from the opening meeting Saturday evening, July 6th, through the Thursday evening banquet, July 11th, and to participate actively in all designated convention activities, including the daily general sessions, special interest presentations, seminars, and workshops. Send application documents to Kelly Gask in the ACB National Office, kgasque at acb.org. Deadline for receipt is April 3rd. Apply today, don't be late. Selected awardees will be notified during the latter part of April. If you have questions regarding the application process and required documentation, contact DKM Chair Kenneth Semyon Sr. via email, semien at sbcglobal.net. The Importance of Relationships When we think about February, we think about bouquets of flowers, boxes of chocolate, Valentine's Day cards, and the love and romance these tokens commemorate. However, romantic relationships represent just one piece of an entire mosaic of relationships that we all experience, and that we should take the time to discuss, to ponder, to celebrate, and perhaps to improve or reconsider. There are the relationships we have with our spouses and partners, with our parents and children, with sisters, brothers, and cousins, with roommates and classmates, co-workers, bosses, and subordinates, with the people with whom we do business, with whom we ride to work or school, and the list goes on and on. Every one of these relationships is unique, some good, some bad, and most somewhere in between. Some empower and encourage us. Others leave us exhausted and frustrated. And then there are the ways that blindness and low vision weave themselves into the fabric of all our relationships. After all, most if not all of us have experienced a relationship that was impacted in some way by blindness or low vision. Sometimes those impacts were small and unimportant. Sometimes they were disproportionate and huge. As human beings, we are wired to be social creatures. This means that the quality of our relationships is essential to how we experience the world, to how we get along with each other and ourselves, and to the extent to which we are happy. 
So as a way of bringing some warmth to us all, and in light of the critical importance that relationships have on all our lives, the ACB Board of Publication chose the theme, The Crossroads Between Blindness, Low Vision, and Relationships, for the February e-forum. Sibling Relationships One of the first relationships we form in life is the one we have with our siblings. We play together, learn and grow together, and sometimes even fight with each other. For Pete's sake, don't tell my brother this, but Peter makes me smile when I think about him. He is dependable, organized, and extremely confident. Out of five children, I'm the only blind person. But ever since we were kids, Peter never treated me differently than anyone cited. Now that we're adults, he still maintains those character traits. He's a wonderful sounding board when I'm feeling frustrated dealing with the world, or when I sputter to him about how unfair things are sometimes for me to get even small things accomplished without turning it into an ordeal. He is logical and a great problem solver, and always has a calming effect on me. He pushes me to expand my comfort zone and speak up for myself, because by doing so, I might be helping someone else who is having the same problem. He never raises his voice, but when I hear him say, Jean Louise, I know he really wants me to listen. It's comforting to know that he always has my back, and I will always have his. I am so thankful for him, and he truly is a beacon of light in my life. Oh well, I guess the secret is out now. Jean Donovan, Averill, Massachusetts Spouses and Partners My Spouse our changes. Of the many relationships I enjoy, this one is very important to me and comes right after my faith. My 30-year marriage to Patrick fulfills me the most. One of the things that drew me to him was his willingness to help others. He's been an unofficial volunteer at ACB conventions, helping others get where they needed to go. We've shared ups and downs, trips, blind bowling tournaments, and the Wisconsin Lions Camp, where we met. We are grateful for each other and remember to say thank you frequently. Showing appreciation is a good way to keep a relationship healthy, also saying, I'm sorry, when warranted. Recently, Pat mentioned this to me. I've always had less vision than him, and he recognized how living with someone impacts a relationship. It can be helpful finding something, especially now that arthritis makes it harder for me to crawl on the floor. He's observed through the years the different ways that totally blind people adjust. He enjoys calling pins for blind bowlers, for example. Other disabilities can impact a relationship, too. My husband has had epilepsy since he was young, but I only witnessed one small seizure he had about 25 years ago, when we had a number of major issues going on with family, friends, and our lives. He forgot to take his meds for several days. This can also affect our relationships or understanding of what others live with. In the past year, I've had more health issues and have not traveled as much, including the 2018 ACB convention. I now have lung issues, which are late effects from extensive chemo treatments years ago. So I use oxygen as needed, and my hubby has become a caregiver to a certain extent. Thankfully, I can still volunteer, cook, spend time with family and friends, etc. He's so helpful when needed, 
which I truly appreciate. There have been articles in the forum about caregiving, which can change a relationship. It's important for me to do as much as possible for myself, as depending too much on him can make it difficult for my husband. I don't want him to become burdened or frustrated. Sometimes a person does need help. That's part of a relationship, and it works both ways. We spend some time apart. It's good for both of us to share with others as needed. There's give and take, just as there is with any relationship. Kathy Brockman Ham Radio Relationships Span Time and Space by Ron Milliman Just recently I've had some happenings that caused me to stop and ponder this very phenomenon. When I think about it, the number of people I've met and developed close relationships with is countless, spanning both time and space. Several of those relationships started back when I was in junior high school. Ron, K-8-O-E-Y, and I met through an older ham, Leo, W-8-A-J-M, who knew both of us, and knew we were both interested in electronics and ham wannabes. So Leo invited us out to his place so we could get acquainted. From that meeting, Ron and I became best friends. We were inseparable. Leo was our Elmer. He first gave me my novice exam, and a few months later he gave Ron his test too. Ron and I built all kinds of electronic circuits and kits, and yes, we even blew up a few too. We remained close friends over the years, right up to Ron's early death a few years ago. In my seventh grade year, I switched from the public school system to the Michigan School for the Blind, MSB, located in Lansing, about 75 miles from my hometown of Sturgis. So I lived on the campus of MSB most of the time, except for vacations. I lost most of my eyesight at age eight from a pretty rare illness called Stevens-Johnson syndrome. I still had some usable sight, but I was really struggling in school because of my poor eyesight, and the medical and educational experts felt it was best if I switched to the school for the blind. I was strongly opposed to this change. After all, my friends since kindergarten were all in Sturgis, and I didn't know anyone at that stupid school for the blind. Besides, I wasn't blind. This is an important part of my story, because almost immediately I met several other kids at my new school who were also interested in electronics and becoming hams. Soon I was fitting right in with my new pals, my ham wannabe buddies. We formed a study group led by the father of one of the guys. His name was George Woods, but we all just called him Woody. Woody and his son Gary lived near the MSB campus, so it was easy to get over to their house. Woody was ahead of the rest of us, and he took and passed his novice exam first. Then he held study sessions a couple times a week in the evenings to help the rest of us prepare for our novice tests. We all studied hard, the electronic theory, the rules and regulations, and, oh yes, the code. For most of the guys, the code was the easy part. Later, some of the guys developed code speeds of 40 words per minute and even faster. Over a few months, we all passed our novice license exams and were officially real hams. There was Ron Iser, KN8KLR, his brother Ronnie, KN8MEW, Ken Filter, KN8KIC, Bob Sikola, K8MXC, Gary Wood, KN8 
H-L-X, me, K-N-8-H-S-Y, and Woody, K-N-8-H-B-X. We got to be really good friends, a tight little group. Woody let us use his Halicrafter's S88 receiver and Heathkit AT1 transmitter, running all of about 20 watts if we were lucky. Eventually, we all got our own gear. Together, we had quite a variety of receivers and transmitters, a Heathkit DX40, Halicrafter's SX71, Globe Scout, some military surplus gear like the BC-348, ARC-5s, and even some home brew gear. We strung antennas out our windows and even tried loading up bed springs and window screens. As kids, we were up for trying anything, which explains how we ended up blowing up a few pieces of gear. Those old PI output networks would attempt to tune more than what was good for them. Those days were back in the late 1950s and early 1960s, and many of us who were members of that little group are still good friends to this day. I still talk to some of them every week on the radio. After high school, we all went our separate ways, but we still stayed in contact on the air and through the grapevine we developed as graduates of MSB. I went on to attend Eastern Michigan University and then into the business world, and eventually on to graduate school at Arizona State University for my MBA and Ph.D. degrees. All along the way, I met and developed special relationships with my new ham friends. Ham radio was the one unifying thread. No matter where you go, if you are a ham, you can almost always find other hams who quickly become your good friends. My first professorial position was at the University of Texas at Arlington. Once again, I didn't know anyone in Arlington. I went to a local Radio Shack store and asked if anyone was a ham or if they knew any hams in the area. Bingo! One of the fellows working in the store was a ham, and the customer he was helping was a ham. I introduced myself with my name and call, W7GPF. W7GPF was my call from Arizona, and I just moved to Texas and hadn't filed that infamous FCC Form 610 yet to change my address and get assigned a new call sign. Anyway, we immediately struck up a lively conversation. Anyway, one of the guys, Vern, invited me to their next ham club meeting. As it turned out, Vern and I were even neighbors. He lived just down the street from where I had recently purchased a house. Vern invited me to attend the local ham club meeting with him. I was able then to meet lots of the other hams in the area. One fellow in particular came right up to me and said, Ron, I'm Rick. I'm not a ham yet, but I'm working on it. That fellow turned out to be Rick Hamilton, who is now WB5VQW. He and I developed a close relationship and have been ham buddies now for almost 40 years. We've gone to HamFest together, shopped the surplus stores together, and just this week, Rick and his wife, Karen, who is also a ham, WB5UFM, met with my wife and I to share some quality time together and talk ham radio and about the good old days. Rick and Karen invited my wife, Palma, and me up to their FMCA's Amateur Radio Chapters Rally Campout, where I met up with several other old ham friends from my days back in Arlington. 
We sat around the table and talked about how Rick and I managed to burn up something in one of my rigs and had to take it over to Bob to repair. And there Bob was sitting across the table from me. It was like those good old days all over again. A few years later, I moved from Texas to Louisiana, where I accepted a position as chair of the marketing department at Loyola University in New Orleans. As we were approaching New Orleans and getting close enough that I could hit the repeaters, I dropped my call on the one I was told was the most active repeater. Right away, I have WD5DWO come back to me. It was Althea. She welcomed us to New Orleans and offered to meet us and help us get acquainted with the area. We met for lunch, and Althea became instant friends with Palma and me. Over the next few weeks, she introduced us to many other hams who also became good friends. A very similar thing happened when we moved to Kentucky, and I joined the faculty at Western Kentucky University. I was able to immediately connect with the local hams here in Bowling Green, and we developed instant relationships. They became our first friends in our new town, helping us get settled, answering questions about the area, and inviting me to join the local ham club, the Kentucky Colonel's Amateur Radio Club. Later, I also joined the Princeton, Kentucky Amateur Radio Club. The guys in both clubs helped me get my antennas up and have become some of my closest friends. Over time, we develop all kinds of relationships, some much closer than others, but as we get older, we tend to appreciate and cherish each relationship more and more. Thanks to amateur radio, I have met people from all over the country, and yes, even in some foreign countries, and developed lifetime relationships and friendships that came about only because I became a ham in 1957, when I was just 13 years old. The Importance of Connections by Timothy B. Vernon Personal connections are vital to making informed decisions, learning life skills, and fostering friendships. Each connection provides a unique insight which is valuable for choosing the right path in life. A connection could be a family member, friend, teacher, co-worker, or acquaintance. Some people are in our lives for many years. Others stay for a short time. I'd like to tell you how connections with teachers, friends, and co-workers have impacted my life. I have been blind since birth and was mainstreamed in the Mansfield, Massachusetts public school system. At the age of four, I began working with a vision teacher and mobility instructor with whom I am still in contact today. Muriel, the vision teacher, taught me Braille, daily living skills, and self-advocacy. Muriel's guidance helped me become a proficient Braille reader and ensured I felt comfortable contacting various organizations to request accessible materials. Rich, the mobility instructor, taught me proper cane techniques and alleviated my fear of traveling independently. His training helped me memorize the Fitchburg State University campus. Later, when I joined the workforce, his training gave me the skills to take two buses and a train to commute between my house and the office. Although I no longer received direct services from Muriel or Rich, I feel relieved knowing I can always contact them for advice on an unfamiliar situation. I am employed in the call center of Eversource Energy. There are approximately 100 representatives who work in my office. 
Often, newer representatives are reluctant to interact with me, as many have never met someone who is blind. Since building a rapport with co-workers is vital, I try to memorize people's voices and learn about their interests. I also ask newer representatives to mention their names during our first few interactions and to advise me when they are leaving the room. I feel privileged to have cultivated friendships with co-workers and occasionally meet colleagues for dinner or a concert. The constant evolution of the Internet, social media, and text messaging makes staying in touch and receiving information easier each day. In high school and college, I was part of the choir, participated in the Braille Challenge, and was a member of a disability awareness group. I made friends in all of these circles and communicate regularly with them. I am grateful to have friends with whom I can share positive and negative experiences. Staying connected with a variety of people from different stages of life is crucial to happiness. During a transition into a new life chapter, never forget the people who helped you get to this point, and do your best to stay in touch with them. As Helen Keller once said, alone we can do so little. Together we can do so much. Rainbow Connection by Gabriel Lopez Cafati, President, Blind LGBT Pride International Relationships. Life is full of them. We form, break, foster, and nurture them throughout the course of our lifetime. Whether family, social, business, professional, religious, or love, all relationships imply a connection. In turn, each connection we make results in giving up part of our autonomy. I like to think of a connection as that space in our lives where our individuality forms a bond with that of others. The beauty of that space is that no one loses their individuality, but we all come together as unique parts of a whole. The best example I can think of to illustrate this concept is the rainbow. Many people have asked me why the rainbow has such a strong meaning in the LGBT community. My first instinct is to say, because it is so cute. Obviously, the meaning goes beyond the aesthetic beauty of all those colors perfectly arranged in an order that almost exudes perfection. I like to think of each color of the rainbow as one of us. Each color so unique, so distinct from each other, yet so peacefully coexisting next to each other connected in a way that there is no vacuum between one another. If you analyze the rainbow, you will realize that no one color tries to taint the next one, nor does it try to take up more space than the others. They all connect in a solid harmony, each color displays its own beauty, and the rainbow as a whole acquires its majesty from the unity of all colors. My ideal for the relationships that form our society is this rainbow concept. As in every relationship, of course, there are certain ingredients that need to be present in order to preserve the connection. When it comes to these ingredients, I like to keep it simple. We need love and respect to make this magical connection happen. When our actions and thoughts come from a place of unconditional love, we are able to see in others our own reflection, despite our notorious differences. Love with no conditions means that we accept each other just as we are, without trying to change each other in attention to our own perceptions. Moreover, unconditional love drives us to embrace the differences in others, 
and it also ignites a genuine desire to learn more about those who are different from us. When it comes to respect, we only need to think of how respectfully the colors of the rainbow align themselves. It's as if they knew that by themselves they couldn't possibly be a rainbow. They know the difference between each other, yet the unity amongst all of them is what creates such an unparalleled phenomenon. At the end of the day, I truly believe we all seek the same things from our relationships, complementing each other, finding that sense of belonging, and, ultimately, adding peace and happiness to our lives. Once again, the rainbow represents all of that. The colors of the rainbow complement the beauty of each other by proudly standing next to each other. With its arch shape, the rainbow soars in the sky, as if sheltering all of us under a single home, where we all belong. The moment in which the rainbow appears is a signal that no matter how shaky or stormy things may be, there will always be the promise of a happy and peaceful future. This doesn't mean that there won't be other storms, but that there will always be a new beginning after each storm. Today, I invite you to view your relationships as part of a rainbow, create your own rainbow connection, and experience how delightful it is to be so unique, yet so connected, so different, yet so together, and, most importantly, so distinct, yet so equal. The Advantages of a Blind Parent by D.J. McIntyre Editor's Note The article below is the text of a speech that D.J. presented at the Georgia Council of the Blinds 2004 convention as part of the youth program. End of note. Having a visually impaired parent can be difficult, but there are rewards. When I began to realize that my mother was blind, it just seemed normal to me. She could walk, talk, hear, and basically accomplish everything she needs to do. Now when I see or meet a blind person, I know how to interact with them and how to lead them. For instance, you would never grab a blind person by the hand and drag them wherever they need to go. That would be rude. First, you introduce yourself, and then ask if they would like some help. Then you let them hold on to your elbow. They will generally use a very light touch and follow. They are very special people with very special characteristics. Blind people must be taught how to do many daily tasks. In residential school, blind people are taught some of the everyday skills that sighted people take for granted. For instance, they are taught how to cook, wash clothes, clean house, etc. My mom is an amazing person. She has four children, homeschooled, and still has to keep up with the normal household responsibilities. Blind people have to learn how to be independent, a skill sighted people take for granted. My mom is not really that dependent on others. For example, mom was given a Braille Light M40, which she uses for email, storing e-books on, and things that she will need to remember. She had to learn how to use it, but now she is very good at it. She can even use a compact flashcard to store files. We used to go to the Marta station to take the train to the capital. It was Mom who taught us the stops. It was Mom who taught us when and where we needed to get off the bus. She also taught us which roads we needed to cross. And it was Mom who taught us about the bus routes. I loved being able to go anywhere the train or buses went. Sometimes Mom would call security and tell them at what stop we would need their assistance. When we got there and met the security guard, 
Mom would tell him where we needed to go, and they would lead us there. One time the security guard was on the wrong side, and since all the trains were loading, he walked through every train to get to us. I thought that was funny. I am thankful that security was willing to help us. We would even take the bus to go to the doctor's office. Now, Mom can probably tell this story a bit better than I. When my best friend came over one night, we decided to sleep on the floor in the living room, which you have to go through to get to the kitchen. During the night, for some reason, Mom needed to get to the kitchen. She was walking very carefully, and she had to step over me. Well, you have probably already guessed, I got stepped on. I know she didn't mean to do it, but it was still funny. Another time, more recently, I wished that my mom was sighted and could drive. I had fallen into the bathtub and hit my head. I was screaming, and at first, Mom thought I was joking until my good friend told her what had happened. Mom came up the stairs and felt that I had a goose egg-sized knot on the back of my head. My grandparents were visiting at that time, and my grandfather gave me an aspirin to take for the pain. I went to lie down on my bed. The next thing I remember hearing was Mom on the phone with the doctor telling him what had happened in the bathroom and that she couldn't wake me up. Even though I could hear, I could not move or respond at all. The doctor told her to call 911, which she did immediately. The next thing that I remember seeing was a paramedic checking my pulse. I was finally awake. They said I had a knot about the size of a quarter on the back of my head. Mom asked them if I needed to go to the emergency room or if they thought I would be okay for a little while. They said to wait a little while and see. Then they left, but I was still not feeling very well, so Mom had to call a friend from church to take us to the emergency room. Oh, how I wished that my mom had been able to see so she could have taken me to the emergency room right away. When I was about seven years old, Mom enrolled me in art classes. I remember drawing a beautiful sunset that I had seen at my mom's foster parents' home in West Virginia. I was so excited and couldn't wait to go home and show it to her. When I got home, it hit me that Mom would not be able to see it. My heart felt like it broke into little pieces, and I cried most of the afternoon. So, then I started to make pictures that had some type of texture, so she could see them with her fingers. I would sprinkle macaroni or beads on glue, or I would use many layers and globs of paint. Still, it was hard to accept that she would never see anything I might draw or color. Sometimes we would use clay, and I remember that it became my favorite activity in that class. I knew that Mom could see anything made with clay. I remember making two puppets and adding as much detail as I could and making them as three-dimensional as I could so Mom could see how pretty they were. You may be wondering about the advantages of having a blind parent. So far, the picture looks pretty bleak. Well, I am able to see things differently, no pun intended, and I have developed abilities that sighted people may never develop. I have been told that I have a much keener sense of direction than normal and that my musical abilities are very well developed. I communicate much better than others my age. I was taught how to cook when I was six years old, and have a love of cooking that equals my ability. I have learned all about the care and feeding of babies and small children. People have told me that I am very responsible for my age. I am not afraid of the dark, and I have never needed a nightlight. My hearing is sharper, my sense of touch much more sensitive. 
I believe I get a bigger picture of the world than other people, due to seeing it from both perspectives. I owe all this and much more to my mom. Thank you, Lassen. This was written in tribute for my first guide dog, Lassen. I received him from Guide Dogs for the Blind in 2006. He decided he wanted to retire at eight and a half years old. How can I thank you, my friend, who stayed by me until the end, when you had to say this is all I can give? My friend, now go on and live. You were here for the good, you were here for the bad. You were there when I was glad, you were there when I was sad. No matter the day, no matter the time, you were ready to go when the harness would show. We traveled many miles over the six years. In state and out, we found our route. For long hours you laid, for long hours you stayed. You showed you were able, you showed you were faithful. You have no idea how many lives you have touched. You have no idea how many loved you so much. You have no idea how many you cheered, how many smiled when you did appear. Thank you for showing me what true devotion can really be. I love you, my friend, my lassen till the end. Betsy Grinovich Dysfunctional Love You never really helped me, you know. I slipped from the birth canal damaged. Beautiful irises, hazel, flecks of blue and moss green, bilateral duds. I thought everyone squinted, tripped, and panicked at night. I thought missing a ball thrown directly was just clumsy. I loved you and you let me down. You didn't perform, protect, keep me safe. I know it isn't your fault. Blame it on genetics. I loved you and had to let go. Oh, how I hated the pain of not seeing, not feeling the freedom, the independence. It burned, led to doubt, to black holes of sorrow. Not even the rosary could save me. Yet here I sit, still loving you, or the ideal of you, lovely twins entwined, conjoined by a frayed optic thread, tiny malfunctioning cells taking up space in my head. Ocular persona non grata, how I miss you. And Chipetta, Summoning Our Better Angels by Paul H. Olson. Editor's Note Paul H. Olson is a longtime member of the North Dakota Association of the Blind. He holds a Master of Arts in Education from the University of Northern Colorado. He spent most of his career working as a mobility specialist with children and adults before becoming superintendent of North Dakota Vision Services School for the Blind in 2013. Paul currently serves as the president of the Council of Schools and Services for the Blind. End of note. This is an open letter to all who are dedicated to better services and improved outcomes for children and adults who are visually impaired or blind. These comments are my personal opinions and in no way represent the opinions of my employer or any organizations with which I am affiliated. This commentary is from the perspective of a sighted professional. I am writing with a desire of bringing about more harmony and cooperation among the agencies and organizations serving people with blindness and visual impairment across the country. Like most professionals, I feel a deep obligation to improve upon our current state of service delivery and be a part of creating better outcomes for individuals. 
That begins with listening and working with the students, families, adult learners, and the consumer groups, all of whom are stakeholders. As an individual, I do not profess to know what is best for anyone. That is reserved for the children and their families, as well as the adults who have low vision or are blind themselves. I would like to offer opinions about what might be best in building stronger relationships and partnerships, however. I have witnessed the absolute best in humanity, many great successes, and, unfortunately, a number of disappointing failures during my career. This could be said of our whole human experience. But within our somewhat elaborate microcosm of blindness-related services and organizations, this dichotomy is very evident. What I find most disheartening is that among our organizations, we are burdened with what I believe is a sad and unhealthy atmosphere of competition and distrust at times. A sense of identity within professional or consumer groups is certainly positive. There is much to be gained when people belong to a group where individuals share similar values and provide real encouragement and support. Groups can accomplish goals that individuals could never achieve alone. I would also admit that affiliation with a consumer group brings benefit on multiple levels. There is so much power knowing that people within a group intimately understand the experiences of other members. Those of us who are sighted and work within education or rehabilitation will never entirely get it. I always say we may become competent and skilled practitioners, but we are not the true experts, nor will we understand some issues as deeply. There is something to be said for friendly competition between groups. We can learn from each other through competition. This diversity can also drive innovation. Notwithstanding these positives, there seems to be a dark side to the intense rivalries that exist. We would be hard-pressed to find any of our stakeholders that do not express some wariness toward people belonging to what might be considered rival groups or organizations. We are all aware of both the subtle and overt disparagement that occurs. It is not an exaggeration to say that, at times, it is more than a little unprofessional and often a bit mean-spirited. The message I am hoping to send with all of this in mind is that we are all on the same team. When one group has a win, it does not mean another has to lose. Every player and every team can win because there is no one-size-fits-all model for creating opportunity. It is also not productive to dismiss the priorities and actions of another organization as simply wrong. Priorities can diverge without one party being wrong or misguided parallel priorities can exist. Up to this point, I have been very general in my statements, but I will be specific about one thing that I feel strongly about. Both of the big consumer groups do great things, but bad-mouthing each other is not an ethical practice. It puts service providers and organizations that attempt to be neutral in a bind. I am hoping for another ten years or more in my chosen work. During that time, I would like to be witness to more trust, kindness, and friendships. I feel very positive about the energy and passion that abounds. I have such great respect for people in both consumer groups and our major professional organizations. We have the talent and dedication to do better when we work together.
Perhaps I am a bit of a naive optimist, but I would rather lean that way than become cynical and think that we will make little or no real progress in improving relationships and meaningful collaboration. Friendships and some collaboration between individuals and organizations already exist. We just need to let our guard down a bit and be a little more vulnerable to realize significant improvement. There is a model being employed in the U.S. dealing with reducing polarization within political parties that aims to bring people together. If you have not read or heard about the Better Angels movement, I encourage you to seek out information about it. Their website is www.better-angels.org. This organization aims to diffuse anger and help people understand each other. My experience with this movement is minimal, but I think this model could work to bring our organizations together as well. The concept of bringing out our better angels was inspired by Abraham Lincoln's first inaugural address. We are not enemies but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passions may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic chords of memory will swell when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. I hope that every member of every organization will think about how we all can support each other, despite historical and current differences. Can we politely acknowledge that some differences exist while focusing on where we have common goals and values? Can we all agree that we are a family of organizations and it is the best interest of all to support each other? I hope and pray that we can. Bear this in mind before hugging. By Larry P. Johnson. Reprinted from the San Antonio Express News, December 1, 2018. Editor's Note. Larry Johnson is an author and motivational speaker. He is available for luncheon talks and workshop presentations. Contact him via email at larjo1 at prodigy.net or visit his website at www.mexicobytouch.com. End of note. I love hugs. I like to give them and I like to receive them. But it wasn't always that way. As a young man back in the 1950s, my Germanic upbringing taught me to be more reserved. A polite handshake and verbal salutation was the appropriate greeting, especially when greeting another man. So what a huge shock it was for me stepping off a train in the port of Veracruz, Mexico, in December 1958, to be greeted by a broad-shouldered, barrel-chested, six-foot-five giant who gathered me up in a crushing bear hug, slapped me four times affectionately on the back, and said, Welcome. The man was the cousin of the friend with whom I was traveling, and he wanted me to know straight away that he was my friend, too. I felt a bit flustered and quite self-conscious about being embraced by another man, for a man to show his emotions, especially of great joy or deep sorrow, back then was considered to be unmanly. However, in the Mexican culture, an honest expression of true feelings was believed to be not only natural, but desirable. And so, I learned the Mexican abrazo, or bear hug. Soon it became second nature to me.
My wife and I taught the custom to our children and grandchildren, and now not a one of them will enter or leave our presence without giving and receiving a huge hug. It's an expressive way to say you are special. But now the custom of hugging has become suspect, insinuating that it may have a sexual intent. A 2016 study conducted by Heart Research Associates of Washington, D.C. on sexual harassment in the U.S. fast food industry found that more than one-quarter of female workers, 27%, believed that they had been hugged or touched inappropriately. Deborah Walsmith, an assistant professor of anthropology at Kennesaw State University in Georgia, says the discomfort with personal contact can be affected by nuances, relationships, and personal preferences. Carnegie Mellon University researchers report that hugging helps fight stress-induced illness. In a 2015 study, participants were tested on their susceptibility to the common cold after being exposed to the virus. It turned out that the people who received more hugs were less likely to get sick. The researchers' conclusion, hugging provides numerous health benefits. If you're looking for a great way to boost your immune system, reduce your stress, improve your sleep, and even help cure depression, they say, you need to consider hugging. The good news is that hugs have no side effects and require no prescription. What's more, they're free and can be given and received anywhere at any time. Kara Derringer, a business coach from Alberta, Canada, says hugging can be positive because it creates connections, but be careful. Derringer advises either asking people for a hug or paying very close attention to body language. If they reach out their hand, they're a handshaker or a high-fiver, she says. I heard recently that the Girl Scouts told their charges that they may refrain from giving holiday hugs to relatives if they didn't feel comfortable in doing so. Well, I sure hope my relatives don't hear about this and avoid giving me my holiday hug. And that's how I see it. Passings We honor here members, friends, and supporters of the American Council of the Blind who have impacted our lives in many wonderful ways. If you would like to submit a notice for this column, please include as much of the following information as possible. Name, first, last, maiden, if appropriate. City of residence upon passing. State province of residence upon passing. Other cities, states, countries of residence, places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation. Date of death, day if known, month, year. Age. ACB affiliation, local, state, special interest affiliates, or national committees. Deaths that occurred more than six months ago cannot be reported in this column. Marilyn Warburton Lutter, March 21, 1938 to November 29, 2018. Marilyn Warburton Lutter passed away on November 29, 2018 in Washington, D.C., Marilyn was born in Towanda, Pennsylvania, on March 21, 1938. Legally blind at birth, she attended the Overbrook School for the Blind in Philadelphia. She went on to obtain a bachelor's degree from Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and a Master of Social Work from the University of Pittsburgh. Upon completion of her degrees, Marilyn was employed as a social worker for more than 30 years. 
Her career included work with an adoption service in the Scranton, Pennsylvania area, and at the Moss Rehabilitation Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In 1977, Marilyn moved to Washington, D.C. to become the Director of Social Services at the Hospital for Sick Children, a position she held until the 1990s. Marilyn was actively engaged with the National Association of Social Workers and its D.C. chapter. She was also a longtime member of the Board of Trustees at the Overbrook School for the Blind. In addition, Marilyn was closely involved with the American Council of the Blind and President Emeritus of the D.C. Council of the Blind, where she promoted programs to expand independence and opportunities for blind and visually impaired people. Marilyn's civic-mindedness was strong. She was an ardent supporter of the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, and she worked to safeguard the anti-discrimination provisions contained in this legislation. She took on leadership roles at a number of D.C. area organizations, including the Columbia Lighthouse for the Blind, the Council of Citizens with Low Vision, and the Washington Volunteer Readers for the Blind. Marilyn also collaborated closely with the D.C. Public Library and their Center for Accessibility, and she sat on committees at the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority to improve metro rail and metro bus accessibility features. Marilyn and her late husband Rudy, who was also blind, were great travelers. They routinely and confidently navigated their way around the District of Columbia on public transportation, and they frequently attended professional meetings and conferences across the United States. Their adventurous natures are best illustrated by the fact that they traveled together to all seven continents. Marilyn is predeceased by her parents, Walter E. Warburton Sr., and Beatrice G. White Warburton, her husband, Rudolph V. Lutter Jr., her sister, Dorothy A. Smith, C. Avery Smith, and her half-brother, Robert E. Warburton. Surviving relatives include her nephew, Avery D. Smith, Bonnie, niece, Raymonda Barnhart, Douglas, nephew, Dana W. Smith, her half-brother, Walter Warburton Jr., Mary Jo, Joyce Warburton, wife of half-brother Robert, and her half-brother Alan E. Warburton. She is missed by friends and volunteers who assisted her and Rudy over the years. A memorial service and a gathering of family and friends was held at the Church of the Pilgrims on January 5, 2019. Donations in memory of Marilyn Lutter may be made to the D.C. Council of the Blind by sending a check payable to DCCB to D.C. Council of the Blind, care of Freddie Pico, P-E-A-C-O, President, 2025 Taylor Street, Northeast, Washington, D.C., 20018. Affiliate News Low Vision Scholarships Available Six weeks and counting to the deadline for submission of Scheigert Scholarship Applications. Three low-vision students will be selected for the 2019-2020 Scheigert Scholarships awarded by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI. Qualified applicants must submit all required documentation not later than 11.59 p.m. Eastern on March 15th. For scholarship requirements, financial details, and application accessibility, go to www.cclvi.org. 
click on Shigert Scholarship, and follow directions for completing and submitting the application. If you have questions, contact us at 1-844-460-0625. ACB Families, providing tools to build great families. If there was ever an environment where relationships matter, it's within the family. Find a family where the relationships are strong and loving, and you'll find people who are happy, fulfilled, and successful. You'll find children who can handle the give and take of work and relationships, young men and women who know how to give and receive the love and support they need from each other, and people who can figure out how to balance the many facets of their lives, work, family, church, the community, you name it. This is not to say that there is any such thing as a perfect family. The perfect family probably does not exist. But there is no doubt that having a strong and supportive family is preferable to the alternative. There is also little doubt that blindness and low vision impact family dynamics. Just find a couple where one partner is sighted and the other blind and ask. Both will be able to explain how each partner brings a unique set of skills, challenges, and perspectives to the relationship. The same is true for blind parents of sighted children. The parents will talk about the alternative techniques they utilize to safely and successfully raise their children, and the children will share the ways their parents are similar to and different from the parents of their friends and schoolmates. An adult losing his or her vision late in life will share how being unable to drive changed his or her ability to visit the grandkids and read bedtime stories, etc. Recognizing the importance of relationships and of the impact that blindness and low vision can have on any family, we formed ACB Families to be a place where we can explore how blindness and low vision impact our lives with our families and where we can learn from and share with each other ways of managing the challenges that blindness and low vision can create, with our ultimate goal being the ability to participate fully, effectively, and happily within our families. Within ACB families, we cover it all. How to manage the work of raising children, tips for dealing with schools, teachers, special education, health care, and all the rest, personal and family finance, taking vacations and what to do over the summer, how to provide end-of-life support for our parents and grandparents, and even topics like hosting a foreign exchange student or tracing the family's past. We cover most of these topics in bi-monthly information programs conducted by phone or during monthly peer support calls, but we also host occasional workshops at annual ACB conferences. At each year's convention, we host an ACB Families Breakfast where we elect officers and host presentations on everything from the American Foundation for the Blind's Accessible Home to the latest fun games you can play using the Amazon Alexa. ACB Families generally meets on the second Sunday of each month at 9 p.m. Eastern for a membership meeting and occasional speaker. At 9 p.m. Eastern, on the fourth Sunday of each month, we hold a peer support call where anyone can come to listen to share, and to give and receive information on a predetermined topic, such as potential summertime activities for bored teenagers or tips for homeschoolers. Calls are open to anyone. All are welcome. Just dial 712-432-3900 
and enter code 796096, pound sign. If you want to join ACB families, just provide dues of $8 and your name, home address, date of birth, level of visual acuity, and your format preference for the ACB Braille Forum. Send that information by email to familes.acb at gmail.com or by mail to ACB Families, 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. Dues can be paid online via PayPal to familes.acb at gmail.com by calling 502-897-1472 and using a credit or debit card or by mailing a check to Adam Rushevel, treasurer, at the address above. For more information, visit us online at www.acb.org slash A-F-F-I-L-I-A-T-E hyphen A-C-B-F. You can also subscribe to the family's email list by visiting the ACB email lists page and check out our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash A-C-B-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S. Our passion is family and we hope that you will join ours and help ACB families to be the biggest and best family ever. Ron Brooks Mississippi Convention in April The Mississippi Council of the Blind will hold its convention April 5-7 through 7 at the Holiday Inn Hotel Trustmark Park in Pearl, Mississippi. Call Eddie Turner at 601-624-4443 for room rates and information. Conference registration is $100 and includes Friday night dinner and Saturday night awards banquet. For registration information, call Renee Verdon at 601-937-5461. Iowa Council Convention in Des Moines The 32nd Annual Iowa Council of the United Blind State Convention will be held April 12-14 at the Holiday Inn and Suites, 4800 Merle Hay Road, in Des Moines. Convention room rates are as follows. Standard with two queen beds, $89. Executive King, $89. This rate does not include taxes of 12%. The deadline to receive the special group rate is March 22, 2019. To reserve your room, call 515-278-4755 or 1-800-HOLIDAY, 1-800-465-4329, and ask for the ICUB special rate. Our group name is ICUB, Iowa Council of the United Blind of Iowa. For more information, contact Carrie Chapman, President, via email. P-R-E-S-I-D-E-N-T at I-C-U-B-L-I-N-D dot org or phone 1-866-436-0141 or visit www.icublind.org or find us on Facebook. Here and There Edited by Sharon Strakowski 
The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACBE Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to slovering at acb.org or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. New President and CEO VisionServe Alliance's Board of Directors recently announced the appointment of Lee Nasahi as its new President and CEO. Lee has been with Lighthouse Central Florida Incorporated in Orlando, Florida, since 1998, serving as its chief executive since 2000 and founding its subsidiary social enterprise organization, Lighthouse Works, Incorporated, in 2010. During her tenure at Lighthouse, she created and expanded innovative service delivery models and employment opportunities for people with vision loss and expanded effective business operations. Her term will begin March 1, 2019. NIB-LC Industries Form Partnership Envision and LC Industries have established a joint initiative called the William L. Hudson BVI Workforce Innovation Center. The center has formed a strategic alliance with the National Industries for the Blind, aimed at expanding training and professional development for people who are blind. This alliance aims to create 500 new jobs by 2022. It will provide for the expansion of numerous training programs created by NIB and will allow for new programs to be developed. Some of the areas into which the program will expand include providing training for veterans who are blind and transitioning to civilian life, and an entrepreneurship program for people who are blind to develop the skills and knowledge necessary to run private businesses. Dishwasher Door Open Alert How many times have you fallen over your open dishwasher door? Most of us have done it at least once. Now there's a solution, the Dishwasher Door Open Alert. The unit is a box measuring 4 inches by 3 inches that mounts to the front of your dishwasher with 3M command tape. When the door is lowered, the unit beeps once, then waits 45 seconds, and then emits a series of three chirps every six seconds, alerting you to the fact that it is still open. Uses one 9-volt battery included. Instructions are available in print and by email. For more information, send email to y-o-u-r-e-t-e-r-n-a-l-e-s-s-e-n-c-e at gmail.com or call 845-282-0643. Perkins School for the Blind Former Students The Perkins Alumni Association's annual newsletter, News and Views, is now available. Catch up on old friends and classmates, renew friendships, and consider joining the association. To receive a copy, either send an email to alumni at perkins.org or call 617-972-7873 and leave a message. Free to Good Home Betsy Grenovich 
has a number of Braille books to give away, including children's books. Apollonia's Valentine, April's Kittens, Pippa Passes, and The Fairy Doll. Also available are the following adult Christian books, A Secret Too Good to Keep, and The Lord Appointed a Worm, Forever and Ever, Amen. From Vapors to Floods, Maker of Heroes, My Hand in His, Please Pardon My Poetry, Something to Hold On To, Teenagers Pray, and Today. She also has several copies of a Bible study titled One, W-O-N by One, O-N-E. If interested, contact Betsy at B-L-I-N-D-A-N-G-E-L 61 at G-M-A-I-L dot com or call her at 678-862-3876. New from National Braille Press. Little Blue Truck is now available as a print and braille board book for preschoolers and up. Little Blue Truck is going along a country road and gets stuck in the mud. Some unexpected helpers get him back on the road. Read to find out who they are. Another new children's book is The Screaming Chef by Peter Ackerman and Max Dalton. It's available in contracted UEB for ages preschool to six. When one young boy starts screaming nonstop, his parents run out of ideas for how to stop him until they realize that he doesn't scream while he's eating. Until the night when dinner burns, that is. What happens next? Read and find out. For fans of The Fly Guy, there's a new book out, Fly Guy's Big Family. It's available in contracted UEB for ages 4 to 8. Fly Guy misses his family, so his friend Buzz plans him a surprise party and invites the whole family. Brand new in the adult section is Super Short Stories in Uncontracted Braille. It's available in Braille, one volume, and in BRF and is great for adults learning uncontracted UEB. These ten super-short stories are for adults only. They deal frankly with adult subjects in fairly clean language. Over in the technology section is Getting Started with the iPhone and iOS 11, Step-by-Step Instructions for Blind Users by Anna Dresner. It's available in Braille, BRF, Word, EPUB, and DAISY. This new edition contains everything you need to know to get started with your iPhone 11. Most of the book is relevant for iPod Touch users, and since the layout of iPhone Plus screens resembles that of iPad screens, iPad users should find this edition useful as well. Brand new is Drop into Dropbox. It's so much more than file storage by Judy Dixon. It's available in Braille, one volume, BRF, Word, or DAISY. In this book, you'll learn how to use Dropbox to back up your files securely, work collaboratively on shared files, and work on the go with all of your devices. Coverage includes choosing the right plan, creating an account, and installing Dropbox. Using Dropbox online or on a desktop, laptop, or a mobile device. Sharing files with and requesting files from friends or colleagues security and notification settings, and getting help. For more information, contact National Braille Press at 1-800-548-7323 
or visit www.nbp.org slash IC slash NBP slash P-U-B-L-I-C-A-T-I-O-N-S slash I-N-D-E-X dot H-T-M-L. Seeking Old-Time Radio Cassettes I'm seeking old-time radio cassettes, especially Lux Radio Theater episodes and Suspense episodes. We'll be willing to accept any cassettes being discarded. Call Paul at 607-359-4914. Braille Music How to Read Braille Music, 2nd Edition, by Betty Krolik, is now available from Opus Technologies. This book explains the music braille symbols most frequently found in elementary through intermediate level music. It's suitable for both children and adults. Use this book if you are working with students who want to play in the band, or if you have more serious, higher-level blind musicians who need a strong understanding of the braille music code. For more information, contact Opus Technologies toll-free at 1-866-678-7832 or send email to opus at opustec.com. High-Tech Swap Shop For sale, Clearview Speech-Activated CCTV. Comes with all cables, has not been used. Asking $800. Contact Larry Cannon at 610-781-7693. For sale, Romeo Attaché, portable braille embosser barely used. Includes carrying case, parallel and serial cables, small conversion cable, CD with drivers, and a CD with Duxbury. Also included will be a letter of sale so that the buyer can update the registration from my name to theirs. Asking $1,500, which includes shipping. Payments should be sent via PayPal. Contact Jesse Rail at 304-267-6827 or via email jrayl114 at comcast.net. Looking for... I am looking for a Victor Reader Trek. If you have one lying around that you don't want, contact Ronnie Palmer at 615-765-7375. Are you enjoying the themed issues of the ACBE Forum? By Ron Brooks. In 2018, the ACB Board of Publications introduced a new concept for the ACBE Forum. In December, the theme was Traditions. February's theme is The Crossroads Between Blindness, Low Vision, and Relationships. The idea is that by focusing content on a theme, we will be able to create a richer conversation, hear from more voices, and perhaps some new writers as well. We think themed issues of the ACBE Forum will be a good thing, but we want to find out whether you agree. To do that, we will include two questions at the end of each ACBE Forum magazine, and we are inviting readers to provide their answers to ACB editor Sharon Lovering. You will find the questions and Sharon's information below. 1. How would you rate the overall quality of this edition of the ACBE Forum? Excellent, good, fair, poor. 2. List one thing we could have done that would have made this edition of the ACBE Forum better. 3. 
Do you have any ideas for future ACBE forum themes? You can provide your responses to Editor Sharon Lovering by email slovering at acb.org, by phone 202-467-5081. We will use your feedback to make refinements to our theme-based approach for the ACBE forum. Thanks for reading our ACB Braille Forum and eForum magazines. You are the reason the BOP exists, and we look forward to serving you in the best way possible. ACB Officers President Kim Charlson, 3rd Term, 2019, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472 First Vice President Dan Spoon, 1st Term, 2019 3924 Lake Mirage Boulevard, Orlando, Florida, 32817-1554. Second Vice President, John McCann, second term, 2019, 8761 East Placita Boulevard, Tucson, Arizona, 85715-5650. Secretary, Ray Campbell, third term, 2019. 460 Raintree Court, number 3K, Glen Ellen, Illinois, 60137. Treasurer, David Trott, first term, 2019, 1018 East Street, South, Talladega, Alabama, 35160. Immediate past president, Mitch Pomerantz, 1115 Cordova Street, number 402. Pasadena, California, 91106. ACB Board of Directors Jeff Bishop, Kirkland, Washington, first term, 2020. Denise Colley, Lacey, Washington, first term, 2020. Sarah Conrad, Madison, Wisconsin, second term, 2020. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, first term, 2020. Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio, second term, 2022. James Crott, Miami, Florida, first term, 2022. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, first term, 2020. Patrick Sheehan, Silver Spring, Maryland, second term, 2022. Michael Talley, Hueytown, Alabama, first term, 2022. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, First term, 2022. Ex officio, Debbie Lewis, Seattle, Washington. ACB Board of Publications. Ron Brooks, Chair, Phoenix, Arizona, third term, 2019. Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida, second term, 2020. Susan Glass, Saratoga, California, second term, 2019. Debbie Lewis, Seattle, Washington, second term, 2020. Penny Reader, Montgomery Village, Maryland, first term, 2020. Ex officios, Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio. Bob Hache, Waltham, Massachusetts. Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington. Accessing your ACB Braille and eForums. The ACB eForum may be accessed by email on the ACB website via download from the web page in Word, plain text, or Braille-ready file, 
or by phone at 605-475-8154. To subscribe to the email version, visit the ACB email lists page at www.acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail in Braille, large print, digital cartridge, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 605-475-8154. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader stream or from www.acb.org bf slash.